Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Hey, it's Mike. Nothing but truth. I'm going to find it. And I found the word of God and in my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, Truth is Stranger Than Fiction just put out a great video. Excuse me, Dr. Leslie, Flat Earth and the Hypocrisy of Mainstream Creationism. Excellent stuff. Highly recommend that you listen to it. What else? <clears throat> flat Water, Flat Earth uh, has inspired me to do my own reading of this. Heat has just posted recently uh, Flat Earth, Heaven and Earth, the Vaulted Dome of the Sky, the Cosmic Breath, and the Cosmic Device. It's two hours, definitely worth uh, a listen to. And uh, he has read from Heaven and Earth by Gabriel Henriette. That's H-E-N-R-I-E-T. Henriette. Um... written in 1958 sometime published at that time sometime context contents introduction you know I'll expand this yeah I, I don't agree with a lot of these quote unquote brothers in Christ who think this is not an important issue. This is our God, our Lord Savior's creation, what he's given to us in this world that we live in. And I was looking at the moon today and noticing the stars. God's given me the opportunity and a good position in my porch to see interesting the Angles, if you will, of the stars. And it's a self evident to me that there's a dome and that uh, this moon produces its own light. Uh, 
Isaiah 13.10, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened, and his going forth and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Isaiah 30.26, Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of the seven days. And the day that the Lord bindeth up the, the breach of his people, and he healeth the stroke of their wound. Matthew 24:29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. The Bible confirms that the moon creates her own light. It's the Word of God, right? Introduction Chapter 1 On the Non-Revolution of the Earth Around the Sun On the Existence of a summer and of a winter cosmic breath stream. Chapter 2. On the fact that the earth does not rotate and on the existence of a day and of a night cosmic breath stream. Chapter 3. The revolution of the planets around the earth and not around the sun. Chapter 4, on the solid dome of the sky. Chapter 5, the in, on the immaterial nature of the satellites of Earth. Chapter 6, on the action of the vault of the sky and on the cosmic rays. Chapter 7, on defects of projection, flying disc, and the rainbow. Chapter 8, the phases of the moon and eclipses. Um, chapter 9, on the stars. Chapter 10, on the procession of the uh, equinoctials. <laughs> Aqua Noctial. I'm not going to say it right. Point. Uh, chapter 11, Formation in the Age of the Earth. And chapter 12, The Function of the Earth in the Universe and on vol Volcanic Eruptions and Earthquakes. Um, chapter 13, Is the Earth the Heart of a Gigantic Man? Man world. Introduction. The various considerations which are set forth in the following pages seem, in the first place, to need an apology in the view of the fact that they completely revolutionize existing astronomical concepts. It may be said in this connection 
that the scientific that scientific evolution, which does not especially aim at destroying previous supposed knowledge, although it does so in the end, is the result of the progressive influence of the age which makes it inevitable. And if the change, therefore, had not taken place today, it would unavoidably have occurred sooner or later in the course of time. The system of gravitation which makes the sun the moving center of the universe, the awkward principles of which are anything but certain since they apply to invisible circumstances so that they cannot be checked is here replaced by the old geocentric system universally accepted until the 17th century in view, of course, of its undisputable obviousness. 17th century, 1600s. Hmm. You think it might have a connection here with the Counter-Reformation? The 17th course, the indisputable obviousness in which the earth in the state of immobility and surrounded by the planets visibly moving round it, including the sun, is at the center of the universe. It has been said that there is nothing new under the sun but it could be added except the manner of interpreting those very facts which indeed are now are not new. Thus this system comprises two important features already known to the ancients, which had been inconsiderately discarded or even completely ignored but which, by a different interpretation put on data obtained through certain modern discoveries, have been recognized to be absolutely true in spite of their apparent improbability. These two facts, which explain almost everything, are firstly the positive existence above the earth of a solid dome consisting of the sky, and secondly, the non-material nature of the planets and the constellations, which are not physical masses, but merely luminous manifestations without substance. These are two circumstances which lead today to the fundamental transformation of astronomy. Further, the study of non-European cosmographies, uh, cosmo, <laughs> I can't say it. Hold on, hold on a second. Cosmo, 
graphies, cosmoscopies, cosmoscopies, has provided a fresh outlook. I'm sorry, there's words with too many syllables and all that. Just uh, my tongue just will not move. My apologies. Cosmoscopy, cosmoscopy has provided a fresh outlook on the problem of the universe and has furnished logical solutions to certain astronomical phenomena, which could not be explained in the past. It is obvious that this work is incomplete, and also that it may be improved. It is therefore hoped that the assistance of various technicians, particularly in the field of optics, will help in due course to solve the remaining problems. As the important thing is not to try and prove one's infallibility, but to arrive at the truth. It is usual in the exposition of a new system to try and disprove the preceding theories, which are now considered to be impracticable and obsolete. And it is to this end that the comments on gravitation and other hypotheses have been made. Yes, that's right, folks. Our gravity is still a theory, if you didn't know that. They should not be regarded as being directed against anyone in particular. The author acknowledges her indebtedness to all those from the earliest times throughout the ages have by their accumulated labor and efforts made possible the realization of this work today. Chapter 1 on the non-revolution of the earth around the sun and on the existence of a summer and of a winter cosmic breath system. Copernicus put forward a hypothesis of the revolution of the earth around the sun in order to explain the cycle of the seasons. His theory is not very satisfactory, seeing that the Earth is supposed to be at its greatest distance from the sun in the summer, during the hot weather, and at its shortest distance in the winter, when the temperature is at its lowest. These unusual conditions which clearly contradict the laws of nature as regards to the effects of heat, are, it is said, due to the angle formed by the rays of the sun as they fall on the Earth's surface. It is also stated that the opposition of the seasons north and south of the equator is due to a tilt of the Earth, first on one side, then on the other, which conveniently occurs at the right moment. 
Nothing is said, however, of the shifting of the waters of the sea and rivers, which this change in the center of gravity and in the position of the earth would inevitably bring twice a year. It might also be assumed that under those conditions, very high constructions would swerve from the vertical. The American skyscrapers and the Eiffel Tower, for instance, cannot be seen to lean right or left according to the seasons, although this should be a logical and natural consequence of the alternate inclination attributed to the earth. It must reasonably be said that the circumstances which readily explain in the most extraordinary and unlikely way the cause of the seasons are not credible, especially in the view of the fact that Copernicus, when he published his theories on the movement of the earth in his treaty on the revolution of the celestial spheres in 1543, the same time that the Council of Trent, right? The creation of the Counter-Reformation, Counter-Reformation that's created, and after his death, insisted that their purely hypothetical nature he said, quote, this hypothesis of the movement of the earth is only one which is useful to explain phenomena, but it should not be considered as an absolute truth, end of quote. <clears throat> it was never his intention, it seems, that his theories should be taken in earnest by his successors. But how useful it was for the sun worshippers. The sun with a U. The motion of the earth in space can be disproved by a comparison between the supposed speed of the earth and that of other planets. If we base our considerations on the principle that a body in motion creates an apparent speed equal to its own, in bodies it encounters, which is usually demonstrated by the experiment of a moving vehicle such as a train, it is difficult to judge at first sight whether it is the train or what can be seen outside, which is moving away. But one fact is certain, i.e., the two speeds, one of which is real and the other apparent, are equal. For this reason, if the Earth were in motion, it would create in the planets and constellations and initial 
apparent and an initial apparent speed equal to its own. Consequently, there can be no speed in the heavens lower than that of the Earth's speed, since it represents a basic speed from which the apparent motions would be derived. But as it can be seen, the displacement of the constellations and of the planets, with the exception of Mercury and Venus, is slower than the supposed speed of the Earth, which under the circumstances stated above is a material impossibility. It should, moreover, be considered that the real speeds of the planets have to be added to the apparent motions created by the supposed movement of the Earth. Mind you, Ephesus suppose, because that's still a theory, although people keep on saying it's the truth. <sighs> it's amazing how Christians have no problem seeing the conspiracy of evolution, but when it comes to this, I guess it requires too much thinking. Too much praising of our God. Recognizing his absolute sovereignty and his amazing creation that he made for us. Which then again, and you know, it comes down to if you're going to be a true follower of Christ, he did say you'd be hated by all for his namesake and that you would look like a fool for believing in the truth. Because man loves the lie more than the truth. We love the darkness more than the light. It doesn't matter how many, whether you have any at all, or if you have a gazillion PhDs, initials behind your name. Nobody wants to be made fun of how masterful the satanic system that we live under is. Whew. All praise and glory to my God, which is not Satan, but our my Lord Savior Jesus Christ and my Heavenly Father, the Godhead, the Trinity, the triune God, whatever you want to call our God, as far as you define it, reminding, reminding you that we are the creation and there's can never fully comprehend our creator in the first place. <clears throat> Apparently, we can't even fully comprehend the creation that he's given us. That we live in. Where was I at with all this? Okay, the impossibility. It should be, moreover, be considered that the real speed of the planets have to be added to an apparent motion 
created by the supposed movement of the Earth, as a result that the planets ought to pass before us like a flash of lightning. This absence of these mathematical circumstances, which surely have no reason to be invisible, ought to be sufficient to prove that the hypothesis of the revolution of the Earth around the Sun, as put forward by Copernicus, has no bias basis in fact, and is not absolute, even if such theory could not be replaced by anything more logical as it is. <clears throat> this reminds me of George Orwell's book, 1984. Towards the end of it. I believe Orwell knew the truth, too. It was revealed in his own writings. guess if you wrote it. An entirely different and more irrational explanation of the cycle of the seasons based on the reasoned investigation of existing conditions can, however, be given so that it will no longer be necessary to send the Earth traveling into space to this end. The essential feature of the year is its division into two equal periods of six months, based first on the predominating lengthening, predominating length of the days over that of the nights, and vice versa, the condition, conditions which are governed by the varying hours of sunrise and sunset, and secondly, by the either high or low height reaching by the sun in the heavens at midday. The first cycle during which the days are longer than the nights, the sun reaches its culminating point of the year, extends from the spring equinox to the autumn equinox, i.e. March 21st to September 22nd, and the second cycle during which, inversely, the duration of the nights exceeds that of the days, and the sun descends to its lowest point of the year. It extends from the autumn equinox to the spring equinox, i.e. September 23rd to March 20th. These two six-month periods are also characterized by a, an opposition of temperature. During the first cycle, which corresponds to spring, in summer, the heat gradually rises and falls, while during the second cycle, which comprises autumn and winter, it is intense is its intensity of the cold, which progressively increases and decreases. It might be said that it is evident that the heat of the summer and the low temperatures of the winter result from either the high or low height reached by the sun in midday, and also from the alternate predominant length of the day over the nights, although it, it, it might not be absolutely certain that the variations of temperature are entirely due to these 
particular circumstances. But to what reason must be attributed the variations which exist in regarded regard to the sun's daily height and hours at which it rises and sets, which seems to determine the various temperatures of the year? Question mark. These regular functions must necessarily have an origin and it might be remarked that no scientific research or speculation has ever been attempted in this direction. The sun has been compared by the ancients to a chariot drawn by steeds and to a boat manned by rowers, meaning by this that it is not self-propelled. Its movement, therefore, is derived from some external power. And in that case, it would appear that the variations of the height of the sun and its hours of rising and setting are due to the passage into the impulsion of two regulating successive currents or cosmic breath streams of six months each, i.e. of a warm increasing and decreasing breath stream prevailing from the spring equinox to the autumn equinox, followed by a cold increasing and decreasing breath stream from the autumn equinox to the spring equinox. And the conclusion is that the impulsion of these two summer and winter cosmic breaths govern the height of the sun and that they also have the effect of either advancing or retarding the hours of the sunrise and sunset on which depends depend the respective lengths of days and nights. It is therefore the arrival and growing intensity of the warm summer breath stream which from March 21st causes the sun to gradually ascend to its culminating point of the year at the June solstice and the decreasing intensity of this same warm stream, which, after the solstice, causes the height of the sun to decline steadily until the 22nd of September, movement of the equinox, when the cold current sets in. At the same time, the impulse of the warm cosmic breath stream has the effect of advancing the hour of the sunrise and of retarding the sunset so that the days become longer than the nights. On the other hand, it is the arrival and growing intensity of the cold winter breath stream about the 23rd of September 
which causes the sun to further descend to its lowest point of the year at the December solstice, and the decreasing intensity of the cold breath, which, after the winter solstice, causes the sun to rise again until the 21st of March, when the warm breath, which the decreasing intensity of this cold breath, which... Let me try this again. Sorry about this. Uh, on the other hand, it is the arrival and growing intensity of the cold weather breath stream about the 23rd of September, which causes the sun to further descend to its lowest point of the year at the December solstice. And the decreasing intensity of this cold breath, which after the winter solstice causes the sun to rise again until the 21st of March, when the warm breath takes over. At the same time, the cold current has the effect of retarding the hour of sunrise. And of advancing that of sunset, whereby the nights become longer than the days. As it can be seen, these two semi annual cosmic currents or streams, warm and cold, each represents a complete breath comprising a rising phase of inspiration from the equinox to the solstice and falling phase of the expiration from the solstice to the following equinox. And it is these two double phases of the duration of the three months each controlling the daily height of the sun and of the hours of its rising and setting, which caused the four seasons. It may be explained that the principle of the existence of the cosmic breaths is not new, that it is to be found in the, oh, there we go, the cosmogonies, I cannot say that word. I'm so sorry. Of the Orient. Cosmogonies of the, of the Orient. Cosmogonies. Maybe that's the way you pronounce it. I just, I don't know. It has here in particular been borrowed from a French translation of the Hindu texts in which the movement of the sun was said to respond to the influence of the universal breath streams. The author has adapted this theory to existing circumstances, thus permitting the specific respiratory nature of these cosmic breaths to be discovered. This fact is completely demonstrated apart from the obvious parallel are the phases of inspiration and expiration rhythmically governing the lengths of the days and nights and the height of the sun 
by comparison with other fact with other factor with another factor, excuse me, which is the pause existing between inspiration and ex- and expiration. This pause is precisely reproduced by the solstice, which corresponds to the stoppage of the cosmic breath between the two phases. The existence of a breath governing the movement of the sun becomes here manifest since the height of the latter at the midday does not vary during the solstice interval, nor does the hours of its rising and setting. The respective lengths of the day and of the night remain unchanged. The sun rising... and setting at the same hours for no less than five days. It could be added... What? This is No less than five days. It could be added as a further proof of the existence of a cosmic breath that the high temperatures of July and August, which are really abnormal, since it should be cooler as they occur when the days become shorter and the height of the sun decreases, are due to the fact that, as in the function of respiration, the pressure of the breathing out is greater towards the middle of the expiration phase, and consequently, the temperatures rise. On the other hand, it is observed that the cold becomes more intense in January and February, although the days are growing longer and the decrease in its intensity of the cold breath is called by is ca- is causing the sun to rise, excuse me, not caused by it, but the the cold breath is causing the sun to rise. This uh, re- reoccurrence of the cold is reoccurrence of the cold is due to the same reason of pressure increase in the middle of the phase of expiration. The cosmic breath being cold, it follows that there is a further drop of temperature during this period from which it can be seen that the fr- the pressure of the respective cosmic breath streams is susceptible of warming or cooling the atmosphere as the case may be regardless of the height of the sun. Let's read that one more time. This... Um, on the other hand, it is it is observed that the cold becomes more intense in January, February. Although the days are growing longer, and the decrease of intensity of the cold breath is causing the sun to rise. This recurrence of the cold is due to the same reason of pressure increase in the middle of the phase of expiration. And the cosmic breath being cold, 
it follows that there is a further drop of temperature during this period from which it can be seen that the pressure of the respective cosmic breath streams is susceptible to warming or cooling the atmosphere as the case may be regardless of the height of the sun. <clears throat> it is also obvious uh, I don't want to make okay, yeah. It is also obvious that the opposition of the seasons north and south of the equator result from a corresponding opposition in the circulation of the two breaths around the earth, i.e. when the warm breath is in the northern hemisphere, the cold one is in the other, and vice versa so that it is simultaneously summer in one part of the world and winter in the other. Thus, the warm six-month breath, which commenced in the northern hemisphere at the spring equinox, comes to an end at the autumn equinox, above the 2nd of September, about the 2nd of September, 22nd of September, excuse me, when the transposition of warm and cold breaths take place, the warm breath passes in the southern hemisphere for the spring-summer cycle, and at the same time, the cold breath leaving said hemisphere enters our, ours for the autumn-winter cycle. Their respective intensities of both breaths, of the two breaths, both at the end of their expiration phase at the moment are thus equalized so as to permit their transposition and at the same time the lengths of the day and night find themselves also equalized at 12 hours each in both hemispheres. Hemispheres of quote. Well, I'm putting the quotes there. Uh, it is also most probable that the atmospheric disturbances which prevail at the time of the equinoxes are due to the mutual replacement of breaths to their passages to their passage in the different parts of the world. It should be added, however, that in the above theory concerning the cycle of the seasons, the cosmic breasts do not act directly on the sun, but that there are intermediate circumstances which will be dealt with later on with regard to the origin itself of the sun. Chapter 2, on the fact that the earth does not rotate and on the existence of a day and of a night cosmic breath stream. Copernicus had evolved another theory which he also explains in his treatise on the revolution of the celestial spheres. 
that if a body is to revolve around another, the first one must have a spherical shape and rotate about its axis in a manner of a spinning top. Consequently, in order to make this notion fit, in which the movement of the earth around the sun and with the movement of the earth around the sun, which he had devised in order to explain the seasons. He suddenly decreed that the earth was round, contrary to general opinion at the time, and then proclaimed that it had a movement of rotation about its axis. The great inconvenience in this proposition is that the rotation of the earth cannot be seen to exist. With regard to the position of the sun or clouds during the day or the moon and other planets by night. On the other hand, in the fact of the immobility of the earth has an immense advantage over the theory of the rotation and that it can positively be recognized as such. It can safely be said that if the earth cannot be seen to move, there are hundred chances in a hundred that it does not do so. The theory of the rotation of the earth, however, may once for all be definitely disposed of as impracticable by pointing out the following in advertence. It is said that the rotation takes 24 hours and that its speed is uniform, in which case necessarily days and nights should have an identical duration of 12 hours each all the year round. The sun should invariably invariably rise in the morning and set in the evening at the same hours, with the result that in that it would be the equinox every day for the first of January to the thirty first of December. One should should stop and reflect on this before saying that the earth has a movement of rotation. Let's read this again. The theory of rotation of the earth, however, may once and for all be definitely disposed of as impracticable. By pointing out the following inadvertence, it is said that the rotation takes 24 hours and that its speed is uniformed, in which case necessarily days and nights should have an identical duration of 12 hours each all year round. The sun should invariably rise in the morning and set in the evening at the same hours with the result that it 
would be the equinox every day from the 1st of January to the 31st of December. I want you to stop and reflect on this before saying the Earth has movement of rotation. How, well, how does the system of gravitation account for the seasonal variations in the length of days and nights if the Earth rotates at the uniform speed in 24 hours? Question mark. And at all events, we have previously seen that there is no such movement as the revolution of the Earth around the Sun. And as the rotation was, it's since Sin Qunon, Qunon, Sin Qunon, I guess as you pronounce it, it automatically fails at the same time. There is also reciprocal invalidity. Reciprocal invalidity, excuse me, if the rotation is manifestly impossible, as demonstrated above, the translation which was uniquely derived from this movement becomes void. Bah. Further, if flying had been invented at the time of Copernicus, there is no doubt that he would have soon realized that his contention regarding the rotation of the Earth was wrong on account of the relation existing between the speed of an aircraft and that of the Earth's rotation. The distance covered by an aircraft would be reduced or increased by the speed of the rotation according to whether such aircraft traveled in the same direction or against it. Thus, if the Earth rotates, as it is said, at a thousand kilometers an hour, uh, those kilometers, not a mile, so, and the and a plane flies the same dis, same direction. Um, of only 500 kilometers, it is obvious that its place of destination will be further removed every minute. On the other hand, if flying took place at the direction opposite to that of the rotation, a distance of, of 1,500 kilometers would be covered in one hour instead of 500, since the speed of the rotation is to be added to that of the plane. It could also be pointed out that such a flying speed of 1,000 kilometers an hour, which is supposed to be at, supposed to be that of the Earth's rotation, has recently been achieved so that an aircraft flying at this rate in the same direction as that of the rotation could not cover any ground at all. True. It would remain suspended in midair over the spot 
from which it took off. Since both speeds are equal, there would, in addition, be no need to flying from one place to another situated at the same latitude. The aircraft could just rise and wait for the desired country to arrive in the ordinary course of rotation, and then land, although it is difficult to see how any plane can manage to touch ground at all on an airfield which is slipping away at the rate of 1,000 kilometers an hour. It might certainly be useful to know what people who fly think of the rotation of the Earth. It could could also be said that if the Earth did rotate, such motion, as in the case of its assumed revolution around the Sun, would create in all directions apparent fast or erratic movements of the planes, of the scene of the planets and constellations, whereas, in fact, the movements ruling the heavens are extremely slow and perfectly orderly. And notwithstanding the artless explanation that has been offered, that everything goes so fast that nothing can be seen to move at all. How ridiculous. It has also been endeavored to explain day and night, probably by way of giving an opportune and additional utility uh, to the rotation, apart from its indispensable role in the assumed revolution around the sun. By the fact that the two halves of the Earth are alternately exposed to the rays of the sun in 24 hours, but day and night do not result from a play of light and shadow caused by a turn of the earth. As it can be realized by anyone, daylight is produced by the arrival and passage of the sun, and night by the disappearance of the latter. It is daylight when the sun rises, and night when it sets. There is no need at all for the earth to revolve in order to create these facts of nature, the cause of which is evident and sufficient unto itself. A factor, however, other than the presence and absence of the sun, might be taken into account in the alternation of day and night. It is known that the ancients insisted on the fact that day was caused by a luminous vapor and night by an opaque sort of fog. But this explanation is not satisfactory as far as night is concerned, as the stars would not be visible, or at least they would be obscured. What may be assumed in reality 
is the presence of a warm cosmic breath during the day and of a cold one during the night. To correspond respectively to the warm breath of the summer and the cold breath of the winter as, no doubt, day and night are on a small scale what the two main divisions of the year are on a large one. There is, moreover, a noticeable increase of temperature after midday, which points to the existence of a breath in its phase of expiration. Interesting. The passage of this breath of day would begin in the early morning at dawn. The usual pause between inspiration and expiration taking place about midday. And we have in this connection an infallible test of the behavior of man who by reflex action stops work at this moment uh, for a time. The passage of the warm day breath would then end at the dusk upon the arrival of the cold night breath stream. It might be considered that the breath of the day has a certain luminosity in view of the fact that it is daylight long before sunrise. And also that the light persists after sunset as well as during total eclipses of the sun can be seen from photographs taken during such eclipses that the details of the landscape, buildings, and objects remain visible so that the presence of a luminous factor not dependent on the sun but provided but provided by the breath of the day can be assumed <clears throat> the cold breath of night would inversely flow from nightfall to dawn with the usual interval of some time after midnight there is a sharp drop of temperature about this hour, which corresponds to the increased intensity of the cold night breath in its breathing out phase, there is an opposite. Op, there is an opposition in the circulation of the day and night breaths around the world, so that when one is north of the equator, the other is south of the equator, and vice versa. The day and night breaths are certainly connected with and influenced by the greater breaths of summer and winter, and it is, therefore, their combined actions which regulate the height of the, of the sun and the hours of, the, of its rising and setting. But not directly, as said before, but through intermediate circumstances which are explained later on. 
as to the origin of these breaths or breaths, breath streams, it may only be surmised that they emanate from living cosmic centers possessing the organic function of respiration and that they are situated in some distant regions outside our immediate universe. It is also possible that there may be a connection between the winds and these cosmic breaths. These are winds which prevail regularly during certain seasons of the year and which under circumstances might correspond to the semi-yearly breaths of summer and winter. Further, high-flying American airmen have reported the existence of a vast and high-altitude current of air six miles deep and 300 miles wide circulating at a fantastic speed around the northern hemisphere and from Australia Similar reports indicate the presence of a corresponding high-velocity airstream south of the equator. There might be an analogy between these recently discovered air currents and this semi-annual cosmic breath stream. As to the breath of the day, it might have a connection with the lesser winds which rise in the morning and drop in the evening. It would also appear that the breath streams are accompanied by vibrations and cosmic pulsations, and the breaths of day and night by 12 and pulsations each, which are the hours, and the semi-annual breaths of summer and winter by six greater pulsations each of a duration of 30 days. And these are the months. It could be added that it is probably the regular and constant flow of these cosmic breaths which constitutes the passage of time. Chapter 3, the on revo, revo, revolution of the planets around the Earth and not around the Sun. That would probably be a good place to start a new recording. I don't know. I imagine no one's listening. So hopefully people will listen to this. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, kudos to Andrew. Thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, I know it wasn't, you know, but it was a small little gift you gave me. And I, uh, I, I feel that I used it wisely. By, uh, my son had helped pay for um, going to the KOA this weekend. And, He had a good old time. a good time. So thank you, Andrew. And uh, thank you, Edward Henry, for uh, sending me books. Uh, four more books to read. And I will complete 
Edwards book. I just felt like reading this one. I don't know how much I want to. I don't. I just don't feel like ending my night talking about the synagogue of Satan. So, anyways, looking forward to the conversation I'll have with Edward tomorrow at six. So, I will be back doing this. I'll be doing a recording in about twenty minutes.